my main thing is I hope that we have college students, high school students, middle school students, you know, feel that this is, I want to have them get more and more involved. And I'd rather be able to share this comfortably and not worry about some seventh grader here and, you know, here in F-bombs and things like that. So I mean, that, that's my rationale behind it. That, that, that that's, that's perfectly fair. Um, I mean, I've, I've, I've uh, run into a few uh, 13 and 14 year olds in the last couple of months, some family functions. And I think, they're worse than I am. That good chance. It's the it's the it's the gosh darn internets. It's the gosh darn internets. Hello, friends. Uh, we're back here in Highlands Bunker, in the shadow of Rockford Tower, in the belly of the beast. Um, I'm uh, excited uh, to have uh, an elected official here to talk about um, his background and his service, uh, representing Newark from Victoria Muse Apartments in Elkton, uh, on Elkton Road to the Estates of Corner Catch, the RD23 representative, Paul Bombach. Thanks for coming out. No, my pleasure to be here. I really appreciate it. Um... So we, I'd usually start at the beginning. Um, where did you grow up? Did you grow up here, uh, or are you? Uh, have you? Did you move here? How'd that? How'd you? How'd you find your way to Newark, Delaware? I grew up in Bel Air, Maryland. Okay. And uh, my oldest sister came to the University of Delaware for nursing. Um, so several years later, when it was my turn to look, I also followed her to the University of Delaware. Uh, met my wife here at University of Delaware. We did a little bit of uh, after college. Spent a few years in Westchester, a few years near D.C. Moved back in uh, 1990 and have been uh, here in Newark ever since. Nice. So what um, what did you study and, and what were you doing? What sort of what was your motivation to get into the political racket? So that started on social justice issues. Um, uh, I was uh, I led the, my church's social justice committee for about seven years. Uh, this was during the time of the presidency of George W. Bush. And I think it was his reelection that just ticked me off enough, and I figured, well, I can either complain or I can do. So I um, got involved with the RD committee, um, followed that part of the process also with our social justice um, efforts that was included uh, uh, umbrella groups across different congregations, um, got involved with the legislative process, advocacy, and uh, came down to Dover um, pushing for various uh, legislation, and when my State representative announced her retirement. Uh, it was something I wanted to uh, step forward and see if that's what the voters uh, wanted to as their next representative. I mean, that that clearly worked because you f- three, four terms. You said my four, fourth this term. Is your, yes. You're in your fourth term. Yes. And people are so afraid that you're you're unopposed most of the time. You're a powerhouse. I, I I tell people running unopposed that I don't know why everyone doesn't try it. <laughs> well, when you when you flex your muscle and you're strong and everybody knows you, you can just. You can muscle you can muscle your way around your district. I Something like that, yes. Um, it's it's interesting because um, you know I asked that question and I've actually had that question asked of me, and my experience is sort of the same. Like I I was involved in politics. I I followed it. You know I had a point of view and it was it's, it's pretty much the same, but my um, participation in it. Um, was actually, you know, was, was a little, kind of triggered by Eugene and the Trump phenomenon, sort of like you were yes. triggered by the Bush phenomenon. Um, and a lot of people are sort of like that, that that sort of 
that spurs them to action and sort of is an inspiration to say we got to find something in ourselves because whatever I'm doing is not, you know, not enough. So I, I, I can I can get with that for sure. Oh, I, I think that uh, that's I, I credit George W. Bush for um, you know getting me uh, moving, and I think we have to uh, credit our current president for getting a lot of other Democrats really um, stepping forward and saying this is not the world we want for our kids and our grandkids. So let's let's act, make it make a difference. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, I I find myself in the because the, you know, I'm not an accelerationist. I'm not somebody who says like, oh, let, let's get it as bad as it can, and then we'll exploit that. Um, but it seems like that's how it's working out. Yes. <laughs> so if that's how it's working out, then I'm fine with it. You know, if 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 um, if this is how it has to go, you know, I wish I guess it didn't. But I mean, yeah, now's the time to exploit that stuff and get people really sort of. It paints a more starker picture for people. Yes, um, I, I think there's. I mean, there's so much. People's lives are very busy, and uh, it doesn't. Most of their lives don't revolve around politics. But when the politics comes and invades their lives, then they start noticing. And you know, I think that they were going along uh, pretty well during uh, the, the second half of the Obama years. And I think uh, we Democrats took some of that for granted. Didn't work hard enough, and uh, and. Not paying attention, uh, President Trump was uh, selected by the Electoral College, and so, you know, here we go. And uh, but people are seeing how it's affecting their lives, and even in you know Kentucky, they're saying no, uh, that that's enough. So it's it's awakened the beast. It's awakened those who's who rel- would rather not be involved with politics, but they know that their futures depend on it, and they did yesterday, and hopefully they will next year. Yeah, and I hope you know. <clears throat> I hope that it opens people's eyes to, um, to the sort of the forces and the context that got us in this situation in the first place. I've had that qu- conversation with a lot of folks. It's like, yeah, definitely. And people have come out very candidly and said, you know, I was comfortable during the Obama. You know, I never didn't have to think about this stuff. Didn't I was busy. Didn't you know? We don't want to get involved. Of course, that comes from a you know, a position of sort of comfort and privilege. But, you know, I think all of us in this room have some, you know, can, you know, sympathize with that. Um, but the situation actually was based on forces on other people that maybe we don't think about all of the time. And certainly you do because that's how you came into politics. But I'm hoping that those kind of moments can ensure that if we do make real change for those folks and address the conditions that put us into the situation, then we don't really have to go through this again. That's that would be nice. That's that's sort of my plan. Yes. Yes. Um, so more more locally, um, I know last term um, you you were really passionate about um, the end of life choices and medical choices. Uh, I want to I, I definitely want to talk about that in more uh, detail to sort of see how you, you came to that and how you think that's moving moving along. Um, but are there other are there some other things in a package of things that you've been doing over the last couple of terms? Um, that you've gotten some traction on or you feel like you're going to continue to have those as your priorities? So um, my priorities, I, I was thinking about this in the days leading up to this. Um, I'd like to think of myself as a voice down in Dover for those who don't have much in the way of voices. Um, I like the vision of uh, you know, Madam Justice or what Lady Justice uh, holding the scales. But my challenge is or my, my concern is it feels that those scales often have a finger on one side of them pushing it down. And so I try to work on issues where right now the playing field's uneven. And I started in the first year working on the rent justification bill with Senator Ennis. That's something that I worked 
uh, in my before I was elected in my role as president of the Progressive Democrats for Delaware in favor of rent justification. And and we in the first year, and it had been worked on for ten or twenty years. In the first year, we got that passed into law, and that wasn't making it going from unfair in favor of the landowners to unfair in favor of the homeowners. It was making it fair. Um, after that, I worked on this midwifery um, issue where the doctors were preventing midwives from, from practicing their trade. And uh, we successfully, it took a few years, um, got that so that uh, in Delaware, a midwife can, can practice her profession. And then here we've got an, an issue where we have people dying um, and we, uh, we're preventing them from working with their willing doctors uh, to prescribe medicine that can only be obtained through willing doctors. But in our state, in our nanny state, um, and it's, this is you know, something that is very inconsistent with some of my colleagues who are opposing this, you know, the government says, no, you can't do that. That shouldn't be the case. It, we should let a dying person have a say in their dying days. Um, we should let them write the, their last chapter. Um, we have had this, there's, there's all these fears of, oh, the world will end if you do this. We've heard those fears for the past 25 years. It's been law for well over 20 years in Oregon, and all these fears have come to nothing. They are groundless fears. We heard the same thing when we had uh, the, what is it, DEMOS, the Delaware Medical Order for Scope of Treatment. Oh, you know, people will be, you know, killing Aunt Edna if you have this DEMOS. Um, fear, 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 fear. But the facts are none of that is the case. I can't stop an opponent from having fears. But I can show my colleagues what the facts are. And the facts are this is an extremely well-designed program. It has 20 consecutive years, over 20 consecutive years in Oregon. Many other states have had this. Um, and the other thing is this is a U.S. law. And people often point, oh, it's done this way in this country or this way in that country. I don't care. And that data doesn't matter because the law that we, the bill we have designed and we've brought year after year down to Dover, the bill we have designed is designed after the successful U.S. laws that we have. First year I introduced this, I have 61 colleagues, uh, 41 in the House, 21 in the Senate. First year I introduced this, I had zero co-sponsors. You got to work really hard to have no one supporting an issue. Um, in the years since then, I keep getting um, co-sponsors joining in. I had Senator Margaret Rose Henry, who was uh, Senate Majority Whip at the time. Um, so I, I have um, built this up. And I think the main thing we've done is we've raised awareness. And generally when people hear about it, um, they get more comfortable with it. And it's one like, it's like gay marriage and, and, and uh, protections against uh, discrimination based on sexual orientation. When you have more experience with somebody who's affected by this, all of a sudden the light goes off of, oh my gosh, yes, this is the right thing. And unfortunately, people are having experiences of working with loved ones who are dying. And some, most of them are being uh, dealt with very successfully with hospice and with their, their doctors, and some are not. And it's uh, those few who are not that this gives one extra choice. It lets them have the autonomy in their final days. In many cases, they never use the medication, but it's that insurance policy of knowing if the pain gets too much, I can self-administer the, the medication. Um, and I am fine when people don't believe in it and don't want to do it. No problem. But don't you dare tell me not to do it. Yeah. and I mean, I guess and that's the tricky part. And there's a, there's a, I want to jump to another sort of related topic, but yeah, it's difficult when the resistance is more of a just, I haven't thought about it and it feels wrong. And then you have to sort of show them like, yeah, it's not, you know, it, 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 it's in this context. And when you contextualize it and you show them the history, there's really no reason to, 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 to say that the government can't, shouldn't allow this particular thing. 
I often describe the bill as being 20% here's how it's done and 80% safeguards to make sure it's not done wrong. And the opponents will often share this horror story and that horror story that are all protected because of the safeguards. And they'll throw out this debunked story after that debunked story where the facts just are not the way that they're saying. So they're misleading people and they're misleading my colleagues, especially you know some of our freshmen uh, who were elected uh, November a year ago um, with, with just falsehoods and scare tactics and stuff that's not reality-based. Um, so I'm just going to stick to telling the truth and I'm going to stick to it. One of the challenges is our strongest um, supporters are literally dying off. You know, we named this after Ron Silverio and Heather Block, came down to Dover, went to the governor, you know, pleaded uh, for support for this bill, and they've since passed away. All the opponents who want to tell someone else what not to do, um, they keep, you know, they aren't terminally ill. So they keep coming back year after year. And that's a challenge, but that's where the scales of justice are uneven, and I'm out there to make things even. And, and I'm going to keep working on this until, until we get it in Delaware. We have it in New Jersey now, not in Delaware. So um, marijuana legalization. Hmm? I look at it in a very similar way. Um, if you look at, you know, it's been, uh, <clears throat> it's been implemented in multiple states uh, for now several years. We've had that churn. Um, it's more, a little more open here, but there is a, see, in, in this case, in my view, there is a power, uh, against it. That's more than just explaining it. It's that the police unions have a huge, uh, uh, line of power into the general assembly. And there are reasons that marijuana should technically be illegal so it can be utilized in certain law enforcement ways that it's not utilized like inside my home <clears throat> so that's a trickier one now uh, my question is where do you stand on the entire issue and do you agree that that is my description of sort of the politics of it more or less accurate um it's it's partially accurate let me back up answer your first question i've been a co-prime sponsor of House Bill 110 for the, the past three years. Um, and I'm imagining it, we had it before that, and I was a, a, at least a co-sponsor, if not a co-prime. Um, I do support the legalization, regulation, and taxation of marijuana in our state. Um, you're right that law enforcement is one of the groups uh, that has lined up in opposition, or at least with concerns that have yet to be addressed. One of those concerns, one of the bigger, louder concerns they share uh, is uh, the reliability of field testing of it. Because the, the tests that are out there on the market today will show that um, you've got uh, the THC or the you know, whatever from 30, 29 days ago. It doesn't mean that you're impaired at that time when driving and stopped by a police officer on the side of the road. Um, but just in the past month, there's been a company that um, is ready to come to the market next year in California. And I swear, I swear, I swear, I said that, not that I swear, uh, I swear. I that, was like, man, this was going to be a, <laughs> this was going to be an epic time. But like, we're going to have to cut this out. I go. can't believe you said that. <laughs> um, uh, th next year, they're going to be coming out with a reliable field test. And I said, at least one year ago, once California went legal, there is nothing because my other life is financial. There is no way that a company is not going to come out with a reliable field test uh, for marijuana um, because the market's just too darn big once California was in. Um, and but frankly, by Delaware dragging its feet. We're going to benefit from that. So that argument is just going to be taken off the table, and I think that's going to help. Um, 
it's the, the current uh, prime sponsor of this, lead sponsor of this is Ed Osinski. Um, Ed is extremely thorough and he is doing a great job and he sits down with everyone, supporters and opponents, and he listens carefully and he finds out what the leading concerns are. Um, anything that is unreasonable, he'll point out that it's unreasonable and why, but anything that, you know what, we can work with that, he'll, he'll massage and he'll get the bill uh, going right. Um, and I think that he's the right person to be leading this. Um, and he's got a great support team behind him. Um, and I think, frankly, I think that this, this science development the past month is something that will help it. Um, there's, it's more than that. For some reason, and I still do not understand why AAA uh, takes this as one of their top issues, and I'm waiting for, the, for our AAA members in, in Delaware to you know, end their membership uh, based on this, but they're viewing this as being you know, the end of the world by um, this, and they've been, they've been visible and they have been effective in their advocacy against uh, legalization, regulation, and taxation of marijuana in Delaware. I wonder what they're, and again, my, my, my mind always goes to like, okay, what's their angle? Like, uh, obviously it's legal in other states. They're dealing with it in other states. Um, it, you know, they're, I guess AAA has an insurance sort of wing of it, and maybe that's the, the angle that they're, they're, they're pushing. It just seems like um, it's of no, what, what, where's, What's their big interest in it being illegal? I wonder. I, I have they articulated that? Not to my satisfaction. I, I've yet to, to find it out. I think they say, "Hey, it's a problem." I say, "Well, okay, alcohol. How's it different?" Um, and I haven't heard you doing putting the same dollars into making alcohol illegal. Um, so I don't see consistency in their opposition uh, to marijuana uh, legislation. Yeah. I don't, I, that's another sort of inscrutable one. It's like, I, I don't even know what buttons to push. Right. I, I was going to mention that sort of as you sort of walk us through um, some of the things that are being done to work out sort of marijuana legalization. Um, it's very difficult because a lot of these discussions are like, I don't even know, you can't articulate to me why you're taking the position you're taking. Or, and I want to get into this too, you said, you know, your other life is a financial life. Um, you know, I have a lot of issues about that in, 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 in Delaware. Um, so maybe we'll get on that. You mentioned uh, part of your motivation was um, social justice. You have, you know, background in finance, uh, financial matters, let's say that. Um, it seems to me that the big structural obstacles in this state that sort of run the financial engine of it, which is very large, very complicated for such a small place. If that's not dealt with in a meaningful way, then a lot of these other issues become, you know, pushing a ball back and forth for 10 years. You know, you mentioned when you first came into the General Assembly, you were able to get something over the goal line that had been, you know, been on the table for 10 years. 15 years and, and, and a lot of uh, people who work in Dover and elected officials come in and say well that's just how it works you know it takes 20 years to do it uh, I, personally for me and, and people who think like me I I think that's not reasonable I'll say that say I cleaned it up for you <laughs> thank you not reasonable. thank you um, yeah so yeah I, and that that's the that's the difficulty and and I see it most with the financial aspect of it you know, if 
if if we're going to uh, incent and allow certain behaviors um and and say this is the this is the money we have and we can't you know we can't really address say educational issues for example or healthcare issues or homelessness issues or whatever social justice issues that sure. we talked about before i don't see how we get i, I don't I, I don't know what big accomplishments there are going to be um, because of the time and the and the financial constraint so i think what you're saying is um to those of us who see um, notable needs that that the state is not addressing, uh, ones which have price tags. Um, it is uh, incredibly frustrating that we seem to be making un no measurable progress on that because we're unwilling to take steps that would raise the revenues to enable us to. Since we have a balanced budget requirement, you know we need to have the dollars for it. If we're unwilling to raise the dollars, then we're unwilling to increase um, the, the problems that, that we're trying to solve. Is that what you're getting at? That's exactly what I'm getting at. Okay. Yeah, I mean, if, if we don't... Um, yeah, I mean, that's exactly what I think you articulated it perfectly. You know, if we're not willing... If we're not willing to ask the, the elites around here to do a little more or ask the oligarchs who funnel money through LLCs to do a little more, it's a weird that we have to go ask them to give us a little more. But, uh, you know, if we're not willing to do that, I don't know how we hit, and, 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 I, and I certainly, I'm not going to disparage any improvements we can make. Uh, you know, we, we, looks like we're going to get marijuana done. We got same-sex marriage done. That took a long time. Those are great things, but there are, there are major structural issues here. I think education is probably the biggest one. Yes. That are, are simply not going to be addressed if elites can keep their taxes low and send their children to Tower Hill and Tattnall. And not pay in to, to to have, you know, beautiful schools built all over the place, and so if we don't, get, and, and I'm using that as an example sure. of a of a structural sure. issue. Yeah, um, and, and I think I, I agree with you completely that um, that public education is uh, on the shortest of short lists on the areas where we are failing, um, and by we I mean more than the state. I mean we, the legislature, are failing. The fact that we have two lawsuits. Uh, just highlights the, our failure. Um, we have been unable to address uh, the quality of public education in our Wilmington schools. Um, so we've got a lawsuit regarding um, a symptom of it, which is the lack of reassessment of property values. And we have a lawsuit that's been divided into two. And the second part of it is that we are inadequately funding public schools. Um, and uh, there are many legislators, including myself, who agree with this completely. Frankly, I'm at a loss as to why the governor is fighting these lawsuits, because I think it's, to me, intuitively obvious that they're valid and it's a losing case to fight them. Um, and the question is just how the court's going to rule on it. Um, the, I, I think what happens is we don't have the political will, we in the legislature and the governor do not have the political will to raise the revenues to fund public education. Um, and we are therefore relying on the courts for doing our job. Um, and that's, it's far from the optimal path, but when all the normal paths fail, then we're left with that. So I'm personally, um, celebrating the fact that we have these lawsuits. I am celebrating the likelihood that both of them are going to be successful. And I'm celebrating that we're going to have our backs against the wall and the courts are going to order us to do what we've known that we should be doing for years and years and years. Um, it's a, 
sad statement that we've gotten to this point. Um, but we tried with WIAC, WIAC, and all of its incarnations. Um, when it was in front of my colleagues, I said, look, I have no problem if you vote against this. As long as you're voting for something that's going to fix the current situation. But voting no and not coming up with another choice is failing our state. Um, and yet that's what most of my colleagues did. So we were unable to do this extremely well-researched approach. And as a result, we now have a lawsuit that we're going to lose. And frankly, you can look at what happened with DSEG. Court-appointed solutions are generally not ones that are really loved uh, by the, the jurisdiction, by the state. Um, but we in the General Assembly and Governor's Office have failed to address that over the years. So it's the only thing left. Yeah, we had a, a, a big discussion in here, one big episode on the uh, the real estate tax reassessment issue with the two reporters who reported the, the four big stories for the News Journal a few months ago. And it really, if nothing else, when you when you take it as a when you sort of take the details in, but then you take the whole thing as a whole and what's happened over the over the years, and and you put it in the context of this state, it really shows such a uh, a deference to the status quo even though the status quo is patently ridiculous. I think part of it, I mean, you have to at least go back to the Tea Party. And, and you know, most of us forget that you know, Tea was an abbreviation for taxed enough already. Okay, So you had these... That's not the Tea, as the kids say. Uh, uh, that's, not, that's not the Tea. That's what the... You know, often senior citizens who go to the tea, go on to the Tea Party rallies, using public highways, with filling their gas tanks with their Social Security checks who are railing against government. Um, and they're saying, we want less, we want less. And when we had a bill, Daryl Scott on his last day in, in office floated a bill for a 2% annual increase to school taxes, which is less than what the raise you're giving to your teachers, let alone what your fuel in your schools is, is costing and everything else. And you know, people were flipping out. Um, and we have a bill to do the same kind of thing now from Earl Jakes, and I'm on that bill. Um, and again, people are flipping out. We can't move the thing forward. And it is the bare minimum of what we should be doing for public education. And instead, politically, we're incapable of doing that. And therefore, we've got people who are rightly filing suits and say, we're violating the Constitution. We're violating the constitutional rights of our students in our public schools. This is a, Maybe I'll ask this question now since it's such a big issue because I was going to try to find an opportunity to sort of find out what what you think could be done at a at a grassroots level in organizing to to push on some of these issues i'll give you an example we talk we it, it becomes very stark because we've had people come in here and talk about the gun sort of debate and maybe we can talk about that and i can get your your feelings i suspect you're you probably feel like most of the other folks i've talked to about it um but there's this idea that that organizing, lobbying, sort of showing up um, is going to be persuasive. However, I don't know whether I understand all of the opposing powers and what their interests are. Mm -hmm. uh, because, again, lobbying there is, uh, you know, the, the Chamber of Commerce also has a lot of power. They do. And so, you know, Carney and his staff, I sometimes think of as sort of like working. They, they look at it like they're part of the corporation. And the chamber's their partner, and these people are their partner, and corporate real estate's their partner. It's the same in Wilmington with Perzicki. Um, 
And they're like the government of the people. They're not partners of like, this isn't a business. You're not running a business. And, and so they have interests that need to be pulled against. And I don't know what the best mechanism is to do that and to help you do some of these things. So let's go to the most difficult one. Let's talk about Second Amendment rights. Okay, yeah. Um, the biggest challenge is that people like you and me care too much. We care about more than one issue. But those who want no change to Second Amendment rights, most often, that's the only issue they care about. And they will, number one, turn out at high percentages, and they will vote solely on that issue. So picture... You may have a, your own candidate who may be exactly where you want to be on gun rights, but they may be the opposite of what you want for women's reproductive choice. You may or may not vote for them because you're more than a one-dimensional voter. The opponents, the other side of the Second Amendment rights, they're most often a one issue, and they vote in high numbers, and they vote on this one issue. And that's hard for my colleagues to... Um, stand up to, especially when they're from a purple district. And, you know, we've got, yeah, we're a blue state, but we're far from an all blue state. And uh, it's it, it's been tough to get, you know, as we've seen the, the, the bills that are currently in the Senate have them move. We've made a lot of very good progress. Um, we are a leading state in much of our gun safety legislation. Um, we've got the red flag bills, and we were one of the earlier states to do that. Um, there's a few steps remaining um, that other states have that we don't have. But we we've at least have a B grade at this point. But getting the rest um, means that we ha have to have more legislators who are willing to stand up to one-issue voters and saying, I understand that you really don't want me to vote this way. I will be voting this way, and I hope you'll listen to all of the issues that I am voting on on your behalf and, and take the entire picture in, into account. And if not, then I've lost your vote and I can live with that. Yeah, I mean, well, that comes down to the thing that you mentioned before. It's just some sort of political will and the courage to, of your convictions to just say, I think this is right. But also, um, you know, it's it's my understanding, and, and I don't know if this has played out or what you're feeling uh, about it is, but some of the folks that turn out that are one issue or, or rabid about the Second Amendment issue are organized not always from local, I don't want to call them outside agitators, I hate that idea, but they're, they're more than welcome to come and protest. But I don't know whether if I was a representative from a particular place and I saw a bunch of folks outside, whether I'm saying like, well, I mean, it's, it's 100 people or 200 people. I don't know what that means. I mean, Moms Demand Action showed up with 75, but that's not really good enough. Well, um... I mean, keep in mind, Moms Demand Action, they outfunded NRA 8 to 1 in Virginia yesterday. Did I see that number correctly? Something um, that sounds like Carl would know. So, you know, I, I think that um, the the tide has turned. Uh, in Delaware, uh, the opponents of any change to gun legislation uh, will show up at a moment's notice and have big numbers, and they will be loud. They'll have their, you know, megaphones, and they'll shout over junior high school girls who are speaking in favor of the legislation. The most uh, horrendous behavior I've seen down in Dover. Well, 
no, there's senator's actions leaving a chamber. Um, but um, oh yeah, I, that's another one. Yeah, he, he's our he's our buddy. Uh, indeed. Yeah, so I, yeah, unfortunately, I can't talk about that right now because of the deal that we because have. of the deal we have. Yes, yes. So um, it, it's you know the opponents will be loud. Will be will show up. Um, frankly, um, I think that the groups like Moms Demand Action um, have uh, retaken the narrative and have retaken uh, the lead. And I, I think, certainly I think time's on, quote, our side. Um, and I think that uh, in time we'll get there. Um, but we need to uh, just keep uh, keep being the sane ones. I think that's one of the issues is sometimes um, the opponents will go all rabid. Um, and uh, when that happens, you win. Um, so keeping calm, keeping to the facts, um, being respectful, um, it's often tempting to get down to the level of the other side, but that rarely is successful. Um, the uh, frankly, when I we did the rent justification, there's two different manufacturer homeowners groups um, of manufactured homes, and they always were Hatfields and McCoys. They hated each other. Um, in 2013, they joined together, and the landowners were not of one voice, and that screwed them up. So, with, with as long as the advocates of the gun safety legislation can work in unison, single umbrella, single voice. Um, that's a winning strategy. Uh, it's It's been effective before. The, there's only there's only one political organization I'm on the board of, and that's the Delaware Coalition Against Gun Violence. Um, and that is a coalition. That's an umbrella group, and we work really hard on setting the priorities for this year, what are we working on, and let's have one play playbook, and let's follow that playbook. And uh, that's, uh, I think, the, the way to be successful. Um, but it's also being calm, respectful, uh, fact-based, and uh, and relentless. Um, and I think that the, uh, the, you know, the groups like Moms Demand Action are a key part of that. They're, they're expanding. Uh, and I think it's because it's the right thing. We're just tired of seeing um, people dying just because they want to go to the mall, they want to go to a movie. Um, this is, they want to go to school. Um, the, the idea of having an active shooter drill for a kindergartner drives me nuts. Um, I don't have grandkids yet. I probably will at some point. I cannot fathom that experience. Um, and I'm working hard to make sure that, that does not happen. It doesn't need to happen, shouldn't happen. I don't think it's effective. I think it's, I think it's a sad statement of how we have let our country go um, by letting nonsensical arguments win the day and, frankly, by having elected officials scared um, of their voters. That's the spirit. I like yeah. that. Um, yeah, I mean that's the that's the one thing I you said relentless because I, um, you know, <clears throat> I think certainly somebody who's at the table hashing out these deals and figuring out how to really put laws on the books have to be respectful. But I I'm gonna chart a different path probably. Uh, so that that'll be that'll be my thing to do. Um, I wanted to take this step further and, and, and think about a different issue, like the and we just talked about it, the financial issue sure. aspect of it. I was wondering if and, I was able to dodge that completely or not. Uh, yeah, I mean, I know where I know where you stand. I mean, I, I like you, I said, my you, only you may my, or may not. Well, uh, which one? The, uh, the on financial. Oh yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, you're actually oh, okay. right. I don't. Okay. No, you haven't been able to dodge it. No, I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna hit you on this. Good, good. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I, my question's not even really um, necessarily where you personally stand. Is it is 
I get discouraged because of the architecture that's been put in place here um, is really it's entrenched. And so the financial elites that use it are entrenched. This is why you see the Chamber of Commerce the way it is. This is why you have Chancery Courts, why you have LLCs, all of it. Um, and, you know, my pipe dream is to be able to stimulate some sort of grassroots effort to start drawing money from those schemes and into public schools or into affordable housing or whatever. But I see all of the time and all of the things that Moms of Man Action does, for example. And, you know, and then, you know, certain of your colleagues maybe just don't have the fortitude to stand up to whatever else is going on. And, it, and, it, and I think about financial issues where nobody's really lobbying on the other side. Maybe John Qualco, you know, friend of the show. Maybe he'll stand up and at least say the thing that needs to be said. Uh, maybe he's not respectful enough, I guess. But again, I don't know whether it's a respect thing or whether it's just it's, it's almost an immovable object at so, this point. So let me ramble a bit, if you don't mind. I would love you to. Okay, so I'm going to start with the Overton window, uh, which is another way to say John Kowalka. Okay. okay? Um, he's the, the edge. He's the edge. So the Overton window says, if you do not talk about the full spectrum of an issue, um, and if you stay in the middle... You won't get past the middle. And some people have um, been uh, frustrated at Senator Carper, who often his proposals start at the middle. And once you have to, quote, compromise with the other side, you've then moved away from your starting point, which you felt was was reasonable. Yeah, if you only ever walk halfway to where you get to go, you'll never get there. So Overton window is the concept of you need to be pushing it. And by pushing it, you're able to move. You, you look at what we've done on um, Medicare for all, Medicare for all who wanted, et cetera. You know, this is something we couldn't even, well, Bernie talked about it um, eight years ago, four years ago, and maybe before that. But we now, what we're looking at was considered as far left. I mean, the range of what we're talking about now, where some of that's considered moderate in today's primary, was considered way, way left. So the Overton window has moved the conversation of the Democratic Party and does the same thing in Dover. So, yes, we do need to have the Overton window happening and we need to be expanding the range so that we aren't spending all of our time right in the moderate and as our starting point and then you know move towards the right but more not more importantly but as importantly we have to be mindful of where the 21st vote is so even if our most left vote is way out there and that's defining the edge of the overton window if we can't get our 21st vote to the left of the middle then we're going to have a right of the middle resolution so it's it's not necessarily that we need to keep moving the far left even further left but rather we need to be successfully addressing that 21st vote and that means we need to be working for all the districts in our state including the ones that are purplish and helping ensure that we've got legislators who understand the concerns that are raised for the people who are being ignored by the system public school students who are not getting funded appropriately and they balance that so they're not only listening to the Chamber of Commerce. Um, and, you know, there's no question that Representative Kowalko, who's a good, you know, a good friend of mine, mine too. Do doesn't spend an awful lot of time listening to the Chamber of Commerce's arguments. Okay. Um, the best. And, and that's, it, that, that's, that's John and that's fine. But what we need to do is make sure that that 21st voter is listening more to Delaware Can and other groups that are pushing for better public school funding. 
and are are hearing that in a greater proportion than they are now compared to what they're hearing from the Chamber of Commerce. Yeah, and yeah, I I, I understand that strategy. I mean, and what so a few years ago there were a few of us who um, bucked the trend, voted against the budget, or at least we were ready to vote against the budget, thinking that we were going to move the budget to the left, and instead we moved the budget to the right because we could have passed it if we agreed to vote for the budget, we thought it was not good enough. And instead, six other votes were received. Where were they received? They were received from right of center. So the whole budget moved to the right by us trying to move the budget to the left. So that's why I really focused on is that middle that matters um, and on on these issues that are intractable. Um, I think we've got, there's value to having Overton window. And by that, I mean the John Kowalkas of, of the General Assembly um, continue to do what they do with passion. And they they help us um, move the debate and talk about a wider range, but we also need to effectively um, uh, talk and have the people heard by the representatives and the senators who are more in the middle and help them see, help the friend essentially move the middle to the left. Um, and that is something that uh, takes respect, takes time, takes work on the grassroots level, but really it takes going to a coffee and talking to the, the representative, uh, you know, sending an email, um, commenting, going to one issue, letting your representative and senator know that this matters to you and you're willing to pay some more in taxes. I'm very fortunate. The 23rd district is a wonderful district and it is one where I have people who say, we love our city and we love the services we get from our city, willing to pay more. And you know what? You know, our schools could be better, and we know there's other places in this state where the school could, could definitely be better, and we're willing to pay more for that. Well, that's nice. I'm way over here on the left side. I need to have more of my colleagues in the middle recognize that and be willing to vote for that. Yeah. And there's there's one more big piece of that puzzle that, you know, as we mentioned before, you don't have to deal with because you, you, got, you got the 23rd locked down. However, some of these places are just going to, we're just going to, send you some new colleagues i think which is another way to do it mm-hmm. um you know so we're gonna we're gonna push on that on that gear too um because i think a, you know and obviously we're not gonna talk about any names in this because it's not you know over to window or arguing it's just a sense of a sense of folks who are in it to make these kind of to try to make change in some fashion and there i feel like are others who are I think they're dogging it. I think they're loafing. Do you know what I mean? Well, well, they're not I, in it. I think what I'd say is, you know, 25% of each chamber was turned over uh, this year. Yeah. And uh, I don't. I think it's been said, never have we had such turnover. Maybe in the last century, never in the past century, but certainly never in, in anyone's current memory. <clears throat> um, that has had a big impact. Um, not, not completely over the top. I mean, we didn't pass all the stuff that had been held up forever, but... We took on things that, and we took on at a pace some things that we never would have before. Um, the criminal justice reform efforts that were led by Kathy Jennings, but really championed by a whole bunch of legislators. Um, you know, we made a lot of progress from that turnover. So turnover of legislators can absolutely make a big difference. Um, in some cases, it was flipping seats. In some cases, it was a retirement, a new person. In some cases, it was a challenger taken out an incumbent. Um, and, uh, you know, there, there's any time you've got turnover, you've got new calculus. You've got to figure out 
what matters to the person, what they're, you know, what they're listening to, who they're listening to, uh, how they make decisions, and, uh, and figure out you know, um, how to work best with them. Um, but I think that uh, we in Delaware have a much more representative um, House and Senate than we used to have, and I think that trend is just going to keep continuing. So let, maybe this will be the last topic. I don't. We'll we'll see if you have feelings about it or, or not. It was brought up here maybe a month ago uh, about uh, full time legislature uh, pay rises so that people can do this as a you know as a career basically. Um, so you get some commitment and you get some maybe you get some folks who you know um, can now focus on it and feel some uh, security. Sure. Um, what is your p- sort of feeling on any of that? I it was it was actually it it didn't occur to me until it was brought up that I'm like yeah they're not really in session that long are they? Um, and then it kind of dawned on me that yeah I mean a lot of that's by design too. You have an, like a soft touch legislature that's only there part time, and so those timelines that maybe would be you know six years to get the momentum to get something done now become ten or fifteen, um, and so I'm I'm. Anyway, without giving too much away, what, what is your feeling so, about so it? I, I think there's um, – I, I, like, I like our calendar system. I like our six-month in session. Um, and I like it because um, the other six months gives us the opportunity to dig into it, issues. You know, we do task forces. You know, the, the Medicaid – I'm sorry, the ACA premiums that fell 19 percent fell 19 percent because Senator Townsend and I chaired a task force last fall. And we looked at it and said, what can we do? Uh, to bring rates down, we said we need to do a risk pool, a reinsurance pool. And um, the DHSS, Department of Insurance, uh, worked on the details, applied with CMS at the federal level um, to get this weight, which is a, a Section 1332 waiver. And our rates are down 19%. Uh, Representative Siegfried, who is one of the leaders of the legislation that made this happen uh, this year, has an adult son whose premiums fell from about, let's say, 510 to $420 um, a month. And, and that's even without having the federal credit towards that. Um, that took time. Those task forces, you know, the, the midwife thing, that took task forces. And I, I came into the legislature without much patience. And then I realized I better get some patience quick. Um, it does take time. It takes time to listen to all the stakeholders, address the concerns, and craft legislation that can uh, garner enough votes for passage. Um, so the six-month-on, six-month-off helps with that. Um, it, uh, Maryland, where I was, you know, grew up, um, ends their session around April fifteenth. Um, they're either four or five days a week, full. T- I mean, it's nine to five, and you can go into the evenings. Um, people, even if they're an hour away, they just come to Annapolis and rent a hotel for the week. Um, so they're less in touch with their district back home. Think, who can take three, three and a half months off from a job? Um, not that many people, which means they have. Well, a I lot guess of- that would be the issue. Is uh, if, if you make it full time, then all of those issues, whether having to take three months off mm-hmm. uh, or trying to survive on a part time sort right. of thing. And plus the state's small. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that would be my one pushback is any kind of task force or committees you want to put together. Um, you know, that can be done within the context of a of a full time of a full time legislature. So, so, I mean, for instance, um, I consider, so I have another job. I consider myself um, having two part time jobs. I 
estimate that I work two 30-hour-a-week jobs. I'm working seven days a week. I'm in the office on Saturdays and Sundays. Look at you. Um, and, uh, and that's what I choose. And I'm not complaining. I'm just explaining. Yeah. Um, and I am, in some cases, envious of my co- some those my colleagues who don't have a second job and are able to really throw themselves in. I was at a, at a conference, which one was I, Chicago, for my other job uh, in Chicago early, uh, early October. And I heard news about the autism respite program administered by Christina that had frozen up. Um, and I got on the phone, awful lot of emails. And within one week, we had a meeting with cabinet secretaries, uh, Christina uh, officials. And within 24 hours of that meeting, the governor announced a resolution to this thing. Um, so, yeah, I was out of session, working my butt off. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's the nature of the off time is far from off time. Um, you know, there's another issue with Christina I'm throwing myself into right now. Um, it's, uh, I think we would, I worry we'd burn out if we were a 12 month, um, a year, uh, legislature as far as being in session. Uh, there's something to be said for the, uh, the budget process in Delaware, I think has done really well. And part of it is we got the public, it's all public meetings and you've got the departments are crafting what they want for next year. They make the pitch to the governor. The governor puts it into um, his budget. Um, it then goes to the Joint Finance Committee, public meetings. That's during during that six months, but during a break, usually February, March, uh, in there. Um, the, I think that part works. Now, to your point of where's the salary and is the salary appropriate, uh, I get frustrated. We have, a, we have a wonderful system that we keep bypassing. We keep short-circuiting. We have a system that says every, I don't know, five or 10 years, we do a survey to say, what are other legislators across the country who work this amount get paid? And if it's more than what we're doing, then we do an increase. And the only way we don't do that is if we vote it down. So we have to affirmatively vote against it, okay? So guess what we do? We're political animals and we vote against it. So what you've done is you've now enabled only people who can do the pay cut, who can, you know, live on just that salary or work 60 hours a week to do this you know you're you're almost making it landed gentry are the ones who are serving so i do believe that salaries could be should be raised and i think it should be raised so that the position attracts more people um so that we can have a better cross-section within our general assembly i don't think we should be able to vote off um what the system says is right you know you should say what is this position worth and pay it um, and I'm frustrated that year, that cycle after cycle, uh, we vote against it. Not for me. I want it for the folks who are unwilling to run because they can't live on the dollars that are there, given the demands of the job. Um, so I do think we should be following our, our rules and we shouldn't have a way to short circuit it. And I think that that will help have more people, have it be a more accessible uh, uh, legislature. Um, but uh, it's not changing yet. All right, last thing, prediction time. Next session, what are we going to get? What's going to be, what are we, what accomplishment is, are people going to say, yeah, we did it? Now, because I ask, I've asked a lot of people this looking back, and obviously I'm always dissatisfied with everything. I, I finally did admit that I, you know, somebody said something about the last session about the criminal justice reform, you know, and, it, and I would never diminish that um, because it's important. But it's literally the least that we could possibly do, considering the, the, the vast problems within the criminal justice system in the state, the prisons, actually, to think about them, actually, 
brings a chill to you how terrible they are uh, and just other law enforcement problems <clears throat> but but it, yeah but I mean it is an accomplishment because it's it recognizes that some it needs to be addressed in some fashion we need to do something so looking forward what 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 do you think is going to be executed in the next one what what looks like it's hit the tipping point that that now is going to be it's going to be front and center um it's an extreme we're going to hold you to this yeah I, I, which is why i really want to hedge um the you know education and healthcare are like two-thirds of the budget so you know you would imagine that it's going to be in that area um however we've seen we've seen during the seven years i've been in um, it's really hard to do the brave, necessary, big stuff in education. Um, so I think if we get, um, frankly, if we get a court decision on the reassessment of property values, I think that's going to be, we'll be forced to pass legislation, enabling legislation um, by June 30th. And it's the first time since the 70s for Sussex County. Yeah. Um, is that decision due? Is that opinion due in time? Uh, the... the, the Word on the street is by year end we should hear that. Oh. Um, so the other one could take another year. Uh, it's still in discovery phase. It's my understanding. Right. Uh, this seems to be just waiting for the the judgment. Um, so uh, that that's a game changer. Um, and so we'll, we'll see about that. Um, I, I I'm going to disagree. I I think criminal justice the efforts we've made already are are notable. I will grant you that of the I think 19 proposals we passed 13 we did the easiest 13. Uh, is even one of the next six will be major. Four of the next six would be tremendous. Um, these are things where, oh gosh, they're, they're just so unfair. They're so classist. Um, you know, it's the, if you, if, if you have a substance abuse disorder, if you're addicted to heroin and you shoot up in your car, if you're in the suburbs, you're probably more than 100 yards away from a school. So it's a much less uh, big issue than if you live in the city and you're real near a school, and it may be, you know, your car is still just as close to your front door as it is in the suburbs, but now it's a different crime because of proximity to the school. That's insane, and that's unfair, and that's like the difference between crack cocaine and whatever the other powder cocaine. I like how um, you pretended you didn't know what it was. It, thank you. Thank that's you very nice. much. I like that. Um, We're keeping it clean here, folks. It. Keeping it clean. It. The, um, you know, I just think that it's, um, we're really working, and I have to give so much credit to, to Kathy Jennings. Um, I was, uh, you know, I've had a friend who was looking to, to run there. I was, you know, she was not someone I was going to, you know, leap on her campaign and, and endorse early or anything. Um, we had to sit down and we covered an awful lot of area and she gave me all the right answers, but that's just words, you know? And I've seen her deed after deed after deed this year. And uh, she's a real thing. And I think we're going to get uh, more and hopefully, you know, the, the even more impactful um, changes made in criminal justice reform. Um, criminal justice reform affects schools. You know, if we can get... Um, Fewer people incarcerated, fewer people with records, more people out of incarceration, able to get a job, then that's more parents at home when the kids come home from school. And that's more food on the table uh, when the kids are having dinner or breakfast before they go to school. It, it is, it's a game changer, and we need to make these steps. Um, and I think now's an important time to do it. I think some of the big stuff may be defense. You know, if we can avoid going back to capital punishment, uh, that's a really good thing. Um, and if we can, you know, keep from having, you know, some of the uh, Second Amendment rights, um, people's, you know, wish lists of being able to, you know, mandating open carry on college campuses or, you know, stupid stuff. You know, I think in some cases, wins can be avoiding losses. Uh, that well, takes effort, too. You know, I, I, I hate to be on the back foot, 
but I understand. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. Uh, Paul, thanks for coming in. I very much appreciate it. In my pleasure. Folks, uh, we've come to the end of another uh, session here. We've gotten a lot of information about the upcoming uh, General Assembly. Um, I hope you will uh, visit our website, www.patreon.com slash the Highlands Bunker. Uh, become a patron. Hit us up on Twitter at Highlands Bunker. Take a look at the, uh, the artwork that's there. As I said, and I meant it, we get 50 patrons by the end of the year. Some of that artwork's gone up on a billboard in Trolley Square. Give those folks a real treat driving back to their palatial estates in the Highlands. It'll be, it'll be a real hoot. Um, we'll, we'll talk to you again next time, folks. Lula Livre, Left is Best. 